Hey, and welcome to the Scott's Hope Podcast. We are currently in a series called Moving Forward, where Pastor Phil is preaching on the vision for our church. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning and welcome to Scott's Hill. So glad all of you are able to join us today. If you're a first-time guest, my name is Phil Ortigo. I serve as a senior pastor here. Glad to have you. Some of you may be new college students have recently moved into Wilmington at UNCW. We want to welcome you guys as you're joining us today as well. Those of you who are joining us online, thank you so much for inviting us into your home. We have folks from all over the world who are actually watching. So let me give a shout out to the De Bruin family in South Africa at Jeffrey's Bay. They gather together. You guys gather together with a group every Tuesday morning in your home, and you're watching us, and you're studying together. I just want to say thank you for tuning in. And for uh, Kyle and Carly, who are watching from Washington, D.C., you guys are watching every single Sunday as you're joining in. You've got family who are here, and you have the opportunity to having um, built a relationship with us through here and online. So good to see you, and I'll be talking with you guys uh, this next Tuesday night at a about five o'clock as we continue to meet for marriage counseling through Zoom. So I'm looking forward to that. And if you're watching us from anywhere else in the world or around the United States, we want to know about it. So let us know. Just contact us and let us know how we can pray for you and we can give a shout out to you um, as you are tuning in week by week, joining us online. But we do want to encourage everyone that it's very important to be together corporately because it's where we fellowship together and as we connect together with people and other believers. Um, before I begin this morning, I got another program note that I want to share with you. September the 12th, we're going to launch our Revelation series, and it's going to take us all the way to Christmas. And we're going to do it a lot like we did the book of Acts, where we did large segments at a time. We're going to key in on certain truths that we feel like the Lord is leading us to focus in on. We're going to have a, a reader's guide for you, so you'll be able to follow along with us through that series. But that will start the, the Sunday after Labor Day weekend, so we're looking forward to um, meeting with all of you through that. We're in this series that we're calling Moving Forward, and we're talking about how do we move forward past COVID. And because COVID disrupted so many different things, we felt like we need to move forward because everything in front of us is different than everything that's behind us. And so the Holy Spirit is leading us to recalibrate as a church together, and we began by talking about our vision. So we all want to be on the same page when we talk about why we exist. A vision is an end goal. It's what we want to be at the end of the day. And we said that our vision is to join God in his work of transforming lives. That's our vision. We want you to learn it. We want you to live it. We want you to allow the Holy Spirit to constantly transform you more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. So let's say it together. On a count of three, I want everybody to say this with me. You ready? I'm not going to fake you out. We're just going to do it together. You ready? One, two, three. Our vision is to join God in his work of transforming lives. We want you to learn that, but more importantly, live it. Now, every vision needs a value system that supports that vision. And the core values are the things that are the metric systems to determine whether we are achieving the vision or not. Are our lives being transformed? So we have seven core values. We study God's word. We grow through discipleship. We engage in worship. We seek God in prayer. We live on mission. We love others through service, and we give with generosity. 
These are the things that we do. Everything we do in ministry at Scotts Hill is built around one of these core values. In fact, all seven of these core values were displayed today during this worship service. And they will be in every corporate gathering because these are the things that we want to have involved in our lives. These are just spiritual disciplines that form us into the image of Christ. So as we continue to move forward, we want to look at those values. Last week, we looked at two that we felt like we needed to get back on track coming out of COVID. That was we engage in worship, specifically corporate worship, and we serve one another, we love one another through serving each other. We talked about worship and service, and we have been disrupted in those areas because of COVID, but we're getting back on track with that. As a matter of fact, through worship and through service, we've got a new plan that we're moving through for the rest of this year and the days ahead. Moving forward, beginning on August 29th, you've heard a little bit about this, new service times, 9.15 and 11 a.m. So this service on, nine, on August 29th will begin at 9.15. If you come at 9.30, you've missed 15 minutes of the service. For some of you, that's nothing new. You do that every week. So, so but you're going to have to set your clock a half hour earlier if you're going to do that. But 9.15 on August the 29th, that's what we're going to do. 11 o'clock remains the same. We want to encourage everyone to attend one and serve one. So we attend corporately together as a family and we serve together as a family at another hour. So if you're in 9.15 corporate worship, we want to encourage you to be involved in some area of service at 11 while your kids are in ministry. Um, or if you're not involved in a service or you're new to our church and you're trying to connect at 9.15, we're going to have a connecting points class in the FLC. We're going to have refreshments. I told the staff, they said, you, you've made a commitment to us. You said donuts last week, so we got to have donuts. I didn't say Bernie's and I certainly didn't say Brits because we can't get that. But the thing is that we understand is we want to have a great fellowship time and there's going to be a corporate time in the Family Life Center called the Connecting points class where new people can come. You can meet people. We'll have name tags. We get to know each other. We get to celebrate together. There will be on-ramps for you being involved in small groups and areas of service. So we want to encourage you to do that. Now, today, as we continue to move forward, we need to look at what are the next two core values that we want to focus on. We've talked about engaging in worship. We've talked about us loving one another through service. But today, there are two others that dovetail together. And we're going to put them together in this service. And what I want to talk about are two key core values that transform our lives. And here's the first one I want to talk about. We study God's Word. We study God's Word. Now, let me just tell you, we are unapologetic in our belief at Scotts Hill that the Word of God is absolutely necessary for us to understand truth, for us to understand who God is like, what God is like, who we are, and for us to be directed and guided by a holy God. We are unapologetic in what we believe at Scotts Hill about God's word. We believe that God's word is going to be the central theme of every single message, every ministry, every mission, and every moment in our lives. And so with that understood, it is absolutely significant that the Word of God play a part in every aspect of our lives. 
I've said it a hundred times, and you're going to hear me say it a hundred times more. The Word of God is the filter for our lives, for our minds, and what we think, and what we believe, and what we do, and how I feel. Even my emotions must be filtered through the Word of God. And if it does not stand the test of the Word of God, I cannot trust my emotions or even my thoughts. So the Word of God is vitally important to everything that we do here. I'm reminded of the story of a man who ran an old country store. And he was known for his generosity and his kindness to all of the patrons who came there. But he was particularly known for his ability to take scripture and to connect it to every circumstance, particularly with his customers. If somebody came in and bought salt, he'd say, oh, he quote Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, you're the salt of the earth. He'd sell it to them. If they bought a light bulb, he quote Matthew 5, 14 through 16, you're the light of the world. If some little kid bought candy, he would quote Psalm 119, 103, oh, how sweet your word is to my lips. And he always had a scripture verse. One day, this very wealthy lady came into his store and she said, I just bought a racehorse, a $100,000 racehorse. My horse is sitting out there in a trailer. Sir, I want you to sell me the most expensive horse blanket that you have. He went to the back. He found a horse blanket that was wrapped up. He brought it to her. He says, ma'am, this is $25. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm not paying $25 for a horse blanket. I want something more expensive than that. Give me the best that you got. He went to the back. He looked around. He said, well, this is the only one I got. So he flipped it over. He brought it back to her. He said, ma'am, this one's $50. Oh, no, no, sir, not $50. I want the very best. So he went to the back. He took it out of the package, turned it inside out, put it back in the package, brought it to her and said, ma'am, this is $100. That's more like it. Give it. She paid 100 bucks. All the employees are watching this and they're wondering, what's he going to do with this? So one of them, brave enough, said, sir, what scripture do you have for this? He said, Matthew 25, 35. I was a stranger and you took me in. <laughs> so there should be a scripture, really, for most area, all the areas of our life. And so the word of God is to be center of all that we do. Why do we believe it's so important? We could go through the pages of scripture from Genesis to Exodus and finding out the significance of God's word. But let's land on one passage this morning. Paul writes this to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. And here we find the basis of the importance and the significance of God's word. Here's what Paul writes. He says, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped in every good work. In this passage, the Apostle Paul lays out at least four reasons you and I should be absolutely committed to the Word of God. I'm going to lay those out for you, but will you pray with me? Take just a moment. Father, thank you for your Word. Thank you that it's truth. And Father, as we unpack this verse, may you encourage us today. May you speak truth to us. Father, may we be enlightened and transformed by your Word. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen. Four things, you ready? Number one, God's word is authoritative. When we're talking about the word of God, we're talking about the Bible. We're talking about it is 
authoritative. Here's what the way Paul tells Timothy. He says, all scripture is inspired by God. He says, all scripture. Now, let me just say something really clear. The Bible does not contain the word of God. It doesn't. The Bible is the word of God. Because if we just simply say the Bible contains the word of God, then you and I are free to pick and choose what we think is the word of God and what isn't. No, all of scripture is inspired by God. Now, scripture's not inspired like, say, the works of a Rembrandt or the works of a Beethoven. They were inspired for art and music. It's not the same thing. When we talk about that the scripture is inspired by God, the word inspired literally means God breathe. It's his breath. And every single word that we read in the pages of scripture is the very breath of God. He is the one who spoke it. And the breath represents his character, represents his being, it represents who he is. It is authoritative. And it is his very word. When you read the pages of Old Testament, constantly you hear the prophets say, thus saith the Lord, because they're speaking of what God revealed to humanity. And then when you get to the New Testament, Peter speaks of uh, of Paul and calls his writing scripture. Paul speaks of the Old Testament scripture and then relates it to something that Jesus says and says what Jesus says is scripture. It's inspired by God. It's the breath of God. But here's the most important thing when we talk about that it's inspired. If it is the very breath of God, it's the word of God, it's the revelation of God, then there is no greater authority than what God says. No greater authority than what God says. And when God says something, it is true. Many years ago, I saw a bumper sticker. Some of you have seen the same bumper sticker. It was a very popular bumper sticker, but I didn't agree with it wholly. It said, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Sounds good, doesn't it? But it's not really accurate. It should say, God said it, that settles it. It's authoritative. And when we say it's authoritative, we mean this. We mean that God is accurate in everything that he said. is coming from him. He's the one who determines the course and the purpose of humanity. And when we say together, yes, we believe that it's inspired, it's his breath, there is no greater authority than God's word. We can say that. But does my life really reflect that? Let's be honest. Oh, I believe God's word's authoritative. Yeah, Does it control the way you spend your finances? Is it authoritative over your leisure time and your pleasures? Is it authoritative over your ambitions and your goals? Is it authoritative over every aspect of your life? You see, when we say it's authoritative, we're saying there's no greater source of authority than God's word. Now, I want to tell you, we're living in a culture today where not everybody believes that. We're living in a culture today where a lot of people say, I don't believe the Bible. I don't believe it. We're living in a culture today of perceived authority. 
And we see it all around us, don't we? We see this perceived authority. We see this person over here giving their authority about this, and this person giving their authority about this, and this person giving their authority about this, and this person giving their authority about that. Just take the mask situation this year. How many authorities have you heard every single day? Take the vaccine situation. How many authorities have you heard every single day? Everybody has their perceived authority. And sometimes we don't know who to believe. And we see this played out in our culture. But there is a perceived authority, but then there's also a positional authority. The perceived authority can change. The positional authority never moves. Let me give you an illustration. There was a captain of a Navy vessel who was driving, going through the water one day. And as he's going, he sees a light in front of him of another ship, and they're heading to a head-on collision. And so this captain says, change course 10 degrees north. The response came back, you change course 10 degrees south. Well, he was angry. He says, I am a captain. Change course 10 degrees north. He says, I'm a seaman, third class. Change course 10 degrees south. He says, I am a Navy destroyer. Change course 10 degrees north. The guy comes back, says, I am a lighthouse. Change course 10 degrees south. (laughs) The captain had a perceived authority. The lighthouse had a positional authority that would not move. And what is our culture saying today? Church, change course. Christians, change course. Change your mind, change your convictions, change all of these things because we are perceiving that all the things you believe are are archaic, they're old-fashioned, they don't apply to our culture anymore. And God's Word says, long before you were here, my Word shall not be moved. You see, that's our authority. And regardless of what culture does and whatever, regardless of where culture goes, we stand on the positional authority of the Word of God. We do it with compassion. We do it with grace. We do it with kindness. But we do not walk away from the authority of His Word. So what we see is it's authoritative. Second Peter puts it this way, for no prophecy was ever made of human will but by men moved of the Holy Spirit spoke from God. David says this. He says, the Spirit of the Lord spoke by me, and his word is on my tongue. Church, if there's anything we are to do as we give ourselves to the word of God, we understand the authoritative nature of his word. But here's the second thing we need to do. Also, God's word is absolute. It's one thing that is authoritative. It's positional but is also absolute, which means that it is the same in all times, in all cultures, in all circumstances, with all people, in all places. It never changes. Every word of God is tested, Proverbs 35. The law of the Lord is perfect, Psalm 19, 7a. The entirety of your word is truth. Each of your righteous judgments endures forever. And what we find over and over through the pages of Scripture is we find that God's Word is truth. It is absolutely true, and it is true all the time in all circumstances, 
no matter where you find yourself. Now, we're living in a time of moral relativism that has been coming our way for some decades now. We're living in a time where there is no truth, and moral relativism says there's no truth. Your truth is your truth, but it's not my truth. And so we all live our own truth. And there's a lot of confusion in what's true. But here's the thing that we need to understand is this. Truth that is absolute never becomes obsolete. It never changes. It never changes. What God calls sin will always be sin. What God's fixed wrath on sin is his, his fixed anger towards sin. It never changes. And what God calls righteousness and holy is righteousness and holy. And this is absolute. Now, remember this. It comes from the breath of God. It represents the character of God. And since God cannot lie and God cannot sin, every single word he speaks is always true, regardless of the circumstances around us. I was reading about the way that they tune pianos. It's really interesting. You know what they do? They use a tuning fork. And the tuning fork normally is middle C. And middle C is the center of the piano, and they use that to tune pianos. When you take a tuning fork and you tune this piano with a tuning fork, then it's in tune. But you use the same tuning fork to tune another piano and another piano and another piano and another piano. There could be a hundred pianos in this room. And if the person who's tuning them uses the same tuning fork, every single piano will be in tune with that fork. None of them will be out. But let's say a person says, I don't think that tuning fork is the right middle C. I think, I, I think my ear hears a better middle C. And suppose everybody in that room decided to tune their own pianos to their own ears then what you would find is every single piano would be a, a, a horrible sound as they played together. That's what's happened in our culture. We've jettisoned the word of God. We said, we don't need absolute truth. Let everybody create their own truth. And everybody's like a bunch of pianos going around, tuning themselves to maybe issues of the culture, tuning themselves of maybe the mores of the day, tuning themselves to all the hashtags that are going around. And then what happens is everybody's out of tune, but everybody thinks they're the only ones in tune. And there you have the struggle of our culture today. And we see the division among, even in churches. Why? We're not going by the absolute truth of the Word of God. And when there's one tune that we're to march by and tune our lives to, we can rest in the absolute certainty of His Word. You see, God's Word is authoritative, but it's absolute. And you notice the people who say that there are no absolute truths, that's the only absolute that they heard to hold to? That is an absolute. So if you say there are no absolutes, will you believe that's true? Yes. Well, then you have an absolute, so your entire argument just crumbled right there. And God's word is absolute. Listen, every time I open it, it's the breath of God. Every time I read it, it can be trusted over the cultures, over the policies, over the politics, over the ideologies. It's absolute. Here's the third thing about God's Word. It's alive. It's alive. 
Now, it's one thing if it was just authoritative. It's another thing if it was absolute. But if it was dead. But it is alive. It is living. It is active. It is not just a group of words written on these old static pages of an old ancient book. These words are living. Our God is alive. And he's forever alive. And so therefore, his word is alive. And I love the way the writer of Hebrews puts it. He says, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Now, I want you to hear what he says. He says, it's living, it's active, it's piercing. God's word, at least three things that we find out of his word from this passage. Number one, God's word is a living book. It is living. It's not static. There's life. The word there, living, means life-giving. And the word of God is always alive. The word spoken to Moses and recorded is as alive for Moses as it is for us. And it is alive today. And so through the ages, the word spoken to the apostles transformed their lives to the disciples. It changed them to the great fathers of the faith. When we look at those reformers, Martin Luther and John Calvin and Zwingli, all of those, and it impacted every single one of their lives. The word of God is living and it brings life Think about your own conversion and the word that God spoke to you that began to change and transform your thinking and turn the resisting boats of your spirit to surrender. His word is alive and it is always alive and we can take it today and it can change and transform our lives even this day. It's a living book, but it's an energizing book too. It says it's active you know that God's word is his creative utterance going forth, fulfilling his purpose and action. It always is. In the beginning, God said, let there be light. And what happened? There was light. God said, let the land be separated from the waters. And it was so. God said, let the waters teem with fish and the lands with... Every single word of God spoken was followed by a subsequent action that fulfilled his purpose. And let me tell you, it is energizing for you and me. We can read this book, and when we pour our lives into it, and we wake up in the mornings, and we have those quiet times, and we're reading, or at night, or maybe in the solitude of a lunch break, God's Word still works within us after all these times. I want you to know, I'm in my fourth year of reading through the Bible. My goal is to do that from now until I die. Every single year, I'm reading through the Bible and I've read the Bible so many times, but this fourth consecutive year of reading through it, and I'm amazed that every time I read through it, there's something new. There's something else that God is using to transform me. It's energizing. The last thing, it's penetrating. Oh, God's Word is penetrating. Have you ever noticed those times in your life where you're trying to hide some secret sin and you read God's Word and He just points it right out? He does spiritual surgery. It is sharper than a double-edged sword. That was one of the sharpest instruments in that day. And it's so penetrating that it judges your intents, your motives, the very issues of your heart. Why? Because it's his breath. It's him. 
And coupled with the Spirit of God working in you, he begins to speak deeply and he brings those things to conviction that no preacher can ever convict you of because he's the one dealing with it. In the next verse, it says that we have no cloak for our soul. There's nothing we can hide. And that verse was used to depict a person who's about to be executed. And before they were executed, they were forced to lift their head and look into the eyes of the judge before they were executed. And here's the picture. When you and I read the Word of God, and the Spirit of God begins to convict us with the Word of God, our eyes are focused on our Father, and there's no hiding ourselves before Him. And He brings those things that need repentance. It is a penetrating book. It's living. It's active. It's penetrating. But here's the last thing about the Word of God. It is wholly adequate for my good. It has everything I need to pursue life and godliness in Christ. All scriptures inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. What does it do? Very quickly, it instructs us, number one. It instructs me, your commandments, go back. It instructs me, your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever mine. I have more insight than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. Secondly, it reproves me. I love this verse. Our kids were never able to say the S word in our house, except if they quoted this. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. I think, wow, what an incredible verse. It corrects me. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And then finally, it equips me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart, I've sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. So here's what we do. The word of God is authoritative. It is absolute. The word of God is alive. And the word of God is adequate for everything I need. So what do I do with the word of God? How do I, how do I take all these things and make it a reality in my life? Well, we internalize the word. And this means we take the word of God and we begin to work it deep within our own hearts and our own minds. And we let the spirit of God take those things and make us who he wants us to be. I submit to his authority from his word. I recognize his truth and I trust it. I know it's alive, and every time I open the Bible, I say, Lord, speak to me today, and then I know it's adequate. It will do exactly what it needs to do in my life as God speaks it and the Holy Spirit comes alongside and brings that conviction and that changing. So how do I internalize it? Well, Dr. Bill Bennett was a man in our church for many years. He was a well-known pastor in the area. He also formed and began this ministry called Mentoring Men for the Master. And he was famous for his teaching and people how to internalize the Word of God. And he put it in four easy steps. I like the way he said it. If I'm going to internalize it, first I must know God's Word. I must know it. You can't internalize something you don't know. So that means I need to be involved in reading the Word of God. Secondly, I must stow the Word of God. That means I hide it in my heart through meditation and thinking through it and putting it deep within my heart and, and letting it just kind of brood within me. I stow it. Then I show God's word. 
That means I live it. I apply it in my life and I take God's word and I let it do its work and I let it change me, my actions, my attitudes. And then finally, I must sow God's word. What does that mean? I speak it to other people. I never keep it to myself. And so whenever I sow the word of God, that means I get involved in the process of letting other people know what God's word is doing in my own life, and I speak truth to them. I speak truth to culture. I speak truth to difficult situations, and I'm always looking for the opportunity to plant a seed of the word of God in somebody's life. Now, let me tell you what that's called. It's part of discipleship. You see, not only do we study God's word, but we want to be disciples of Christ. We grow in our discipleship. Those two things go together. The study of the word of God should flow out of my life in such a way that there become clear marks that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, here's the interesting thing in our churches. A lot of times we talk about being Christians. Oh, I'm a Christian. Oh, I'm a Christian. But you know the word Christian in the scriptures in the New Testament was only used three times? One time it's used as a derogatory term. Only three times in all the New Testament do people identify themselves as Christians. But over 270 times, the most common identification of a follower of Jesus is disciple. I'm a disciple. I'm a disciple of Christ. And so we have to ask the question, what is a disciple? What is a disciple? What's the difference between saying I'm a Christian and I'm a disciple? Here's the difference. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, calling them to himself at the very beginning of his ministry. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So here's a disciple. This is the definition. A disciple is a sinner who has been invited by Jesus to follow, learn, and be transformed by him so that he or she may live on mission for the purpose of making other disciples. It's kind of a long... But listen, it begins as a sinner. The disciples of Jesus were sinners. They were fishermen. What else were they? One was a tax gatherer, which means he sold his citizenship out to Rome, and he sold out his own people. Another one was a zealot who hated the Romans and wanted to kill them. And so you got these two guys on the same team, and you know that these disciples never believed in Jesus until the resurrection? When you go to John's gospel and it says, and they believed. So they began as sinners who were invited into a relationship with Jesus. It's where every one of us begins. It's where some of you today, the Holy Spirit is dealing with you in. And then they were invited to follow, learn, and to be transformed. That means this, we let him make us in who we need to be, who he wants us to be. And we live on mission with him. And our goal is to make other disciples. Jesus never said, go and make Christians. He says, make disciples. In fact, at the end of his ministry, speaking to the same disciples, he says this. He says, and Jesus came and said to them all, authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. What is the outcropping of a person who studies the word of God? Is that they grow in their discipleship. They grow in following. They grow in listening. They grow in being like Jesus. 
And at the end of the day, the goal for every believer is to be a disciple who makes disciples. That's what we're called to do, every one of us. So here are the two things. We study the Word of God because it's authoritative. It's absolute. It's alive. It's adequate. And the outcropping of that is we allow the Spirit of God to make us disciples who make disciples. Now, how do we do that? This is what I want to help you in as we are moving forward. How do we do this? Let me give you some ways at Scotts Hill. Discipleship takes place, corporate gatherings. Do you realize every single Sunday when we gather together corporately that the main speaker is the main disciple maker that morning? And as I speak to you, we're in the process of making disciples. And you're learning about Christ and you're challenged to make commitments to follow him. And then there's another way, connecting points class. We have a connecting points class that's going to start next week. It's a wonderful way of discipleship in a large group. We want to encourage people to get connected with one another, to get to know each other, to fellowship with one another in this connecting class. And you grow in your discipleship there. Small groups. We have so many small groups. We have an 8 o'clock small group on campus. We have some at 9.15 and some at 11. But the majority of our small groups are off campus now. And we want to encourage people to be involved in small groups. Let me tell you, you got to hear this. While we get together in a corporate setting, there's continuity in our ministries. But when we get together in small groups, there's community. And we need that community in the body of Christ. In fact, some of you are here because you've been lacking community in your life. And this is the opportunity and a place for you to connect with other people. We have small groups on Wednesday nights with our student ministry. They break up into small groups. We have small groups on Sunday mornings with our children's ministry. And it's in all these small group settings that discipleship and the study of God's word takes place. This is one that I'm really excited about, Tuesday Theology. On September the 14th, on Tuesday evening at 7 o'clock, we are launching a class called Tuesday Theology. I'll be leading that class along with some of our other pastors. And because there is such a, a lack of biblical understanding today in our culture and in our churches, we want to teach theology and doctrine. Not for the purpose of having head knowledge, but for understanding that right thinking always leads to right living. And on Tuesday evenings at 7 o'clock, we're going to have that. You can sign up for that today. And we want people who are serious about wanting to be a part of a theology class and understanding doctrine. Not somebody that just wants to come and hear a couple of things. This is going to be a serious study going deeper into things of God's Word. We have men's and women's studies that are offered regularly. Life on life. Let me tell you what life on life is. Life on life is you just finding somebody and discipling them. I discipled a man for a year in the same restaurant every single Wednesday. We'd read a book together. I was discipling him. Not only did I have the opportunity to disciple him, but I had the opportunity to lead two waitresses to faith in Christ because I developed relationships with them throughout a year. And so these are life on life. And there are all kinds of other ways. It may take place on your job. It may take place with your neighbor, inviting them to the home and just eating together. All of these things are the opportunities for discipleship and to grow. Let me tell you, one of our passions and our desires at Scotts Hill 
is that we not just gather for corporate worship, but that we build community with one another. So I can say, will you pray for me? Here's what I'm struggling with. Hey, can you celebrate with me? This is what God is doing in my life. Hey, can we together as a small group go feed the homeless? Can we together go downtown and work with a Lifeline Pregnancy Center? Can we together can go work in our domestic shelters and help people? Can we together go to the Baptist Children's Home and take... There are so many things that we do as we grow in our discipleship. So I want to encourage you, believers, covenant members... On August 29th, as we kick off all of these things, if you're already in a small group, wonderful. But if you're looking for a small group, all that information is going to be outside in this little parking lot. You can sign up for a small group this morning. You can sign up for a theology class on Tuesday nights. You can find all the information that you need for us to grow deep in the Word of God and for us to be the image of Jesus in our culture, wherever we are. If you're here today and you're not a believer, listen carefully. You're not here by accident because Jesus is inviting you today to follow him. You see, you don't have to have everything together. You don't have to go clean up your life before you come to Christ. No, you come as you are. He is the one who promises I will make you fishers of men. He does that work. And I want to invite you to consider coming to him, following him, getting involved in one of these small groups, learning, listening, being with people who are learning and listening, and see if Jesus doesn't change your life. I want to invite you to join us in the work of God as he transforms us. If we're going to be the kind of church that God desires us to be, there must be worship, there must be service, there must be the study of his word, there must be the discipleship where we're becoming more and more like him. Corporately and personally as we move ahead, as we move forward. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for reminding us of these truths. Father, for me, this seems like an old drum that has been beaten for decades. But Father, I thank you that your Holy Spirit reminds us of these truths over and over and over. Because we all have the tendency to drift. We all have the tendency to lose sight of the vision. We all have tendency to lose sight of transformation. But Father, as you are recalibrating our minds and our hearts in these days... And as we're moving forward, I see the great excitement that's in this body. I see the people who are coming, and I see what's coming into our community. And Father, that we would be the people you desire us to be as we submit ourselves to you. 
and for your glory. Father, for those who don't know Christ, Father, I pray that you would stir their hearts to come and follow along and to listen and to learn and to surrender. Father, I pray that you would challenge every heart here today, whether we're covenant members or we're regular tenders or we're first-time guests, to remind us of where we need to be in our walk with you. Thank you, Father, for your love for us and your patience with us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If this message blessed you and you now have a desire to follow Jesus, I encourage you to go to scottshill.org slash next steps so that we can follow up with you. Also, if you like the message, feel free to share it on social media with your friends and family. God bless. God bless.